Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Detroit Free Press, I'm Robin Chan with a voice briefing special report. Today, I'm joined by Bill and Gina. Can I please have you both introduce yourselves and your roles at the Free Press? My name is Gina Kaufman. I'm an investigative reporter at the Detroit Free Press. My name is Bill McGraw, and I'm the editor of Free Press Flashback. Thank you both. Okay, so Bill, tell us about Flashback. What is it? Flashback is the Free Press's local history column. It runs every week on Sunday, both online and in the paper. And it basically comes in two different ways. We can take a story right out of the Free Press archives, which go back to 1831, or writers today write about subjects from the past. We've also run a couple of excerpts from books. It's basically, though, articles right out of the Free Press archives. This week's flashback has been described as the ultimate flashback. Why is that, and what's the story? Usually, Free Press flashbacks, they're fairly simple. They're 1,200 words, and they're on one quick little subject, and it doesn't take months to research them. But this was like the mother of all Free Press flashbacks, and it took a long time, two people, and really some other people helping too, but I think it was worth it. The story is about something that happened in Detroit in 1966. Right this week, in fact, in 1966, there was a festival at the State Fairgrounds Coliseum called the Carnaby Street Fun Festival. It was aimed at young people at a time when Pop music of all sorts was breaking out in Detroit from Motown to Bob Seger to the MC5. Heavy emphasis on music, but also you could buy a paper dress, you could look at new motorcycles, and you could see a new fangled thing happening in barbering, which was men's hairstyling. The festival organizers wanted a little something special, so they hired someone to do something interesting, and that person was Andy Warhol who in 1966 was already very well known for his Campbell soup cans and his other pop art. And he was really a symbolic and an actual representation of the cutting edge in art and culture in, in America in those days. And he designed a thing called the Mod Wedding. And the Mod Wedding was a wedding and it took place on Sunday afternoon during the Carnaby Street Fun Festival. The music for the Mod Wedding Ceremony was provided by a notable group. Who did Andy Warhol bring to the wedding? Andy Warhol brought to Detroit the new band called the Velvet Underground. The band is Lou Reed. Nico, their famous vocalist, who didn't last with the band for too long, but she made quite an impression on everyone. John Cale was there. Maureen Tucker, their drummer. And Sterling Morrison. Those are people who, if you read anything about the Velvet Underground or Andy Warhol, the whole art scene in Manhattan in the 60s, they're mentioned quite prominently. Certainly Lou Reed is. So the story revolves around this mod wedding. Gina, you and Bill set out to find the couple in this wedding. What were you able to find? Yeah, so a few months ago, I got a message from Bill asking if I could help him track down this couple from 
the 1960s. I knew it was going to be a challenge because finding records from decades earlier can be so difficult. Often records either are not, no longer available or they're not in storage or trying to track down someone and their former name. We were having a hard time finding the marriage license initially. We were having a hard time finding her. She was married to Gary Norris in this event, but I couldn't find her under the name Randy Norris. So essentially, I cross-referenced multiple public records in order to find Randy. We used vital records, court records, tons of online research, made a bunch of phone calls, and I was able to find Randy, who goes by Randy McNair now. Through all of these records that I had, this had to be the right person. So it was not an easy task finding the bride of this wedding, but you did find her. What was Randy McNair's reaction like when you reached out? Well, Gina and I, we had an address for her in Macomb County, but we didn't have any other way of contacting her. We thought we had some phone numbers. We did try them, but they didn't work. And so we just thought we're going to have to show up and see what happens. And so Bill and I took a shot and we went out to her house. It was in September. We knocked on her door and Gina and I were on her porch and she opened the door and we told her why we were there. And it turned out that we were right. Oh yeah, I was the bride in the mod wedding. Really, it worked out as best as we could have ever hoped because she was really a good sport. It was her and she welcomed us into her house. She was very surprised when we showed up at her door. And she invited us into her living room and we talked to her for about 45 minutes. She helped our story immensely. Bill, take me back to 1966. This Andy Warhol-designed pop art wedding is happening at this music festival. What was it like? Weddings in 1966 were still pretty traditional. People hadn't yet started getting married out in fields and things like that. And so this was somewhat of a uh, parody of a wedding. The wedding was really crazy. Gina was able to find people who attended. Everyone's reaction was the same. This was crazy stuff. They're in the State Fairgrounds Coliseum. There were 4,500 people in the stands. That was about four-fifths of the Coliseum was filled. There was a municipal judge from Highland Park. The bride and groom arrived inside the Coliseum in a black Rolls Royce. The locks malfunctioned. It took them 15 minutes to get out of the car. They got up on the stage. Andy Warhol escorted the bride to the judge, just like a dad would escort his daughter to the altar in a traditional wedding. Meanwhile, there was a lot of activity going on in the stage. Besides the band being on the stage, there were lots of other people. There were friends of, or part of the Warhol entourage. There was a young woman who had a, a white dress on that I think was a paper dress. And Warhol started painting her dress with both paint and mustard and ketchup. There was also this guy named Gerard Malanga, who was dancing on stage with a bullwhip and two high-powered flashlights. And if that sounds a little offbeat, there was another guy who they brought in an old DeSoto automobile, and this guy got on top of the car with a sledgehammer and smashed the car as part of the wedding. And then there also were about 25 young people, it looked like from the photos, right in front of the stage, dancing wildly with some really crazy 57-year-old fashions, a lot of paisley and a lot of clothes you don't see anymore. Then, of course, the Velvet Underground was playing. We don't know what songs they were playing. There's no set list or anything. And they did the vows, and Nico read some statement about love, and that was basically it. Certainly an unconventional wedding, to say the least. What did reporters from the Free Press and the Detroit News write about the wedding? 
The reporters' impressions were fairly negative. They thought it was over the top. They used the word noise. The Free Press described Nico's singing as a off-key woman accompanied by an off-key air raid siren, something like that. And the news was, their story was very sarcastic. So they really weren't into the swing of things as far as the mod scene, pop art. And, but they, I guess, had the normal human reaction when you see something that is so unusual and so different. UPI and Associated Press covered the wedding. So this story was all over America on the next day in 1966. The reflection in the papers and even in the wire service stories was somewhat sarcastic. Gina, is the couple still together? No, actually, the marriage only lasted about two years. They did get divorced, but they did have a beloved daughter out of it. Randy has since been remarried. Her husband passed away a few years ago. Gary Norris passed away in the 90s from a heart issue. What are Randy McNair's thoughts on the mod wedding? What does she think of it these days? Her feelings about it are bittersweet. She felt like the event was a bit of a scam. They were promised a lot of things that they didn't get. Gifts, a trip to New York. What she told us was that afterward, no one contacted them. And then just about the event itself, (laughs) I mean, I think like many people that we interviewed for this story, she found it to be a bit wild. She described it as just utter chaos. Bill, what was the music scene like in Detroit at that time? I was 15 years old in 1966, and so I remember all the music that was going on. Bob Seger, the MC5, young people were just jamming every weekend. The Beatles had been in Detroit. Motown might have been peaking in 66 for all the hit records they had had within a year or so. Aretha Franklin was doing great. So it was a very hot time in Detroit, and it was covered really well in the free press. The free press was staffed by younger people. It was much hipper. And in 65, they started a teen page, so-called teen page, every Friday. And the reporter who pioneered it was a young woman from the East Coast named Lorraine Alterman. And for the next two and a half years, every Friday, she filled the page with a variety of topics, everything from drugs and sex, music, DJs. She paid attention to the black community. She really was encyclopedic in her coverage of the teen scene in Detroit. And that's one of the things that distinguished the free press in those days that, you know, that was obviously long before the internet. And young people who wanted to know what was going on had to read the free press. And speaking to how hip the free press was, there was a special record that the paper was passing out at the festival, right? Right. That's another crazy thing (laughs) that um, Marvin Gaye, you know, the Marvin Gaye sang a minute and a half song uh, praising the Free Press team page coverage. And it was a promotion, but the Free Press issued a 45 RPM record. And on the one side was Marvin's song. In the Free Press, And the other was Lorraine Alterman interviewing Marvin just for a couple minutes. What do you think about teenagers in their clothes and their fads, um, like, say mod clothes and, and wild things like this, long hair? I think, I think if they want to wear mod and everything, I think that's groovy. Really, I, in fact, I, I, mod clothes, I think. The Free Press passed out the record at the festival and also made it available to readers. 
I'm told that when Britain, the northern, so-called Northern Soul Movement, which is people who love soul music from Detroit and Philadelphia and places like that from the 60s, that this song by Marvin Gaye, as kind of quirky as it is, is a very popular song among fans of Northern Soul. To wrap up here, both for you, Bill and Gina, what were your major takeaways covering this fun, offbeat little piece of Detroit and Michigan history? I've known Bill for a really long time. He is what I would describe as the quintessential Detroit historian. You could always go to Bill for anything on Detroit history within the newsroom. This is the first story that we can remember ever working on together. It's just fascinating to me to dig into something from so long ago. I, I knew nothing about the Mod Wedding, had very little knowledge of you know this event or even the music scene back then in the 60s, really. So I just think it was a fascinating event for me personally to learn about and then also to get to work with Bill, who's just a wonderful reporter. Gina and I have been friends and along with Gina's husband for many years, but this was the first time we worked together. And I'm certainly a fan of Gina's reporting. And it was fun to work with her on a story and see her reporting up close. And for me, the biggest takeaway was, you know, Detroit has a great and really rich musical history. But this is something that seems to have fallen through the cracks. I never had heard of it before until I stumbled across a reference to it in the Free Press a few months ago in a story by Lorraine Alterman, actually. This was an investigative story on a fun, crazy topic. But it's a really historic, given the personalities involved from Andy Warhol and Lou Reed, etc. And all that was really fun. It worked out to be a really good story. Bill, Gina, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking with us today and for sharing the story. Thank you. Thank you. That was investigative reporter Gina Kaufman and Free Press flashback editor Bill McGraw. You can find Bill and Gina's flashback article on the Mod Wedding by visiting Freep.com and searching for Bizarre Detroit Wedding was planned by Andy Warhol. Today, Bride says it was all a scam. If you're a fan of Motown and Marvin Gaye, I also highly recommend you search for Bill's article, Marvin Gaye Recorded Song for the Free Press You've Probably Never Heard. In that article, you'll be able to hear all of sides one and two of the record. You can also find links to both articles in the description of this episode. Special thanks to Bill McGraw, Gina Kaufman, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, Freep Now Editor Marianne Struman, and a very special thank you to Senior Editor Jewel Gopwani Myers. Nicole Avery Nichols is the editor of the Detroit Free Press. Us. Thanks for listening, and you'll hear more from us soon. Come on, Free pray.